This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery. Bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This is the besotted Pride of West London podcast. And I'll tell you something, I'm sitting here, not only in West London, but within a stone's throw of Queen's Park Rangers. The Kylan Prince Stadium. Well, I've got a very strong hand, you know what I'm saying? So it's a very long throw, but here we are. We're in Hammersmith, just on the Shepherd's Bush borders here, sitting here in the Distillers Pub, a very cool pub. We haven't been here for a while. Again, they've got all their records on the, on the wall. You know, they've got, they've got upstairs, they've got a little room where they've got the old live music happening. A very cool crowd, and I'm Billy Grant. I'm sitting here in the Distillers Pub where they're taking very good care of us indeed. Only days, days after we got three points from our chums down the road, QPR, who basically just came with a platter and handed it over to us. The three points, and I'm feeling very, very happy. So I thought, let me get as close to Rangers Stadium as I can do. And I'm sitting here in the booze area at the Distillers Pub in Hammersmith, just down from Fulham, but we won't talk about them. We're in the chums, my buddies. I've got the Allard, Matt the Allard here next to me. How you doing, mate? I'm very well, yeah. I, like, I do like this pub. It's a great pub. Um, lots of stuff going on. Friday nights is Hip Hop Hooray, which is apparently 90s and noughties hip hop night. It is advertised with a picture of the Beastie Boys from the clearly from the 80s, so they got it a little bit wrong there. But apart from that, it could be a good night. Sounds like a good night. We might have to come down here uh, next Friday, maybe. Just maybe we will, maybe we will. That's right. I've got GP Gary Paul in the house, and Gary Paul GP is an original hip-hop head, aren't you? Yeah, definitely, Bill. But I must admit, I'm in very impressed with your ability to throw a stone from here to um, the Cayenne Prince Stadium and... Obviously, you've been taking tips from Steve Backley. <laughs> Listen, we won't go into this because I'm sure the lawyers are listening at the moment now, but we shall move on. We've got the floor man, Damien, in the house. The floor man, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. Still uh, still on a massive high from Monday night. Really enjoyed that game. And, uh, yeah, long may this run continue. The run hopefully will continue, and we're going to talk about that game, which is the QPR game that we beat on Monday night in a little bit. But before we talk that, because obviously if you're at the game, if you're actually either at the game or you saw it on TV, you will not have got away from the chant. We are just a bus stop in Hounslow. And the fact is that maybe we are a bus stop in Hounslow and it made us think, Hounslow, the bus stop in Hounslow, does anyone here 
around the table have any, any views, thoughts, throwbacks to the bus stop in Hounslow at all. The Allard. Well, I remember the bus station in Hounslow. I lived in Sunbury, and it was the, in those days it was the 237 bus that went to Hounslow. It's now, it's now the 235, which is there's something wrong with that. It should be the, still be the 237. But um, there used to be a BMX track just beyond the bus station going towards Isleworth. And when I was maybe, I don't know, probably, I don't know how old you were, 11, 12, something like that, we used to ride our BMXs along the road I guess from um, from Sunbury to Hounslow to go to the, to the Hounslow BMX track or Isleworth BMX track and um, it was a fuck of a long ride on a BMX because you know gears or anything have you and, um, and what I do remember is that when you got to Hounslow bus station you knew you were almost there and soon you'd actually be going over jumps and stuff rather than just trying to avoid the traffic that was trying to knock you off your bike you must have had a big beaming smile as you saw, saw that bus station in the horizon yeah exactly yeah yeah you just you, you knew that you, you were you were the other side of Hounslow and, and going toward and you were almost at the BMX track of course coming home they wouldn't let you on the 237 um, with your BMX so you know you you had to then cycle all the way home after you'd been rocketing around the track for three hours all afternoon that doesn't sound good so listen GP Gary Paul your thoughts on the bus stop in Hounslow yes well I'd say a lot of time spent um, in that vicinity, you haven't lived there for many years, but um, yeah, no, my, my main memories of probably of yeah, I mean, the bus stop, the bus station was, um, as you mentioned earlier, being a bit of a hip hop head. Um, after a certain time, it wasn't the place to be going with a new pair of trainers because you had to be rotating with your fist or invoke your inner Lympha Christie and get the hell out of there because you won't, you won't make it across there with a new pair. What was that then? Huh? Well, because there were various shady older guys that decided the best way to get um if, if you had same size feet as them it was your ass <laughs> pretty much um so yeah there were several um footwear injury footwear thefts that used to go on on the bus garage if you went there really after school and any time in the evening so you used to go home in your socks quite a lot then is that right Nope, as I said, if you're tasty with, tasty with your fists, you could get away with it. What I to say, Gary? You know what I'm Listen, the Flatman, Hounslow, for you, I know it's a little bit far because you're from the other part of the world, but still, you've got a few little Hounslow tales, do you not? Yeah, so I remember um, not many miles away from Hounslow bus station going to C&A and uh, my mum taking me there to get uh, a coat around about this time of year to prepare for the uh, cold, wet winter months ahead. And uh, yeah, fond memories of Hounslow actually. So uh, good times. You said you got your hair. You got your coat. What kind of coat? Tell me. Because <laughs> it was CNA. <laughs> it was CNA. I've no idea. I can't. I honestly can't remember. Do you, do you remember the CNA? What the, the the brand name was for their clothes? Um, I, I can't remember. Actually. Palomino. It was like a little horse. Do you remember? It's a little horse on there yeah, yeah, as well. You're quite, you're quite right. Yes, it was. Yeah. And that I'm going to CNA actually. They they used to have a little Christmas. Uh, they used to do the Christmas photographs there as well. They used to go there, and also they, I've got a photograph. It's still probably uh, in the collection there. With a photograph with Galen and uh, and the Planet of the Apes as well. You know, I sort of, uh, I didn't even think it was really strange when you were young that there was a sort of couple of monkeys inside a CNA that you were taking photographs with as well. But um, yeah, my, 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 I said my views of uh, Hounslow. Remember Hounslow bus station? Um, very vivid views as well. Is that that's where the Hounslow skins. Uh, people back in the day remember that the Hounslow Skinners is the place that they used to converge and meet, particularly on a Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon. And uh, if you went down there and the Skinners weren't particularly happy with you, you had to definitely kind of uh, make sure you took a little bit of a swerve, because if you weren't careful, you can find uh, 
quite a few of them chasing you down the street as well. And also, wasn't necessarily the Hounslow skins, but also skinheads from all sorts of different areas. Lucy used to meet up at Hounslow bus station as well at the time. So I remember that quite vividly. It was definitely just a bus stop in Hounslow. But I remember all just down from the bus stop in Hounslow as well. Do you remember, um, do you remember the Green Shield Stamps shop? I don't know, do you remember that? Yeah, I do. I do remember Green Shield sounds very well, actually. Did you get anything from there at all? Did you sort of save up these? This is basically a shop. You used to save up these stamps. I don't know where you used to get them from, but you get these stamps, you save them up, put them into a book, and when you got like about 30 million of these stamps, you took the book to the Green Shield stamp shop, and they'll give you sort of hand it over, and I want a lawnmower, or I want a sort of a duvet or something, wouldn't it? Yeah, I, th- I think I got some kind of alarm clock radio thing. Something really um, uninspiring. Something that they had probably lots of stock of. Do you, you remember Green Steel Shabs? No, no, I, I do remember that I, I believe the first McDonald's, sort of local McDonald's to me, was in Hounslow. That was another draw for Hounslow, was it was the only, well, a long time before there was a McDonald's in Kingston or Mate or Staines, I'm pretty certain Hounslow was the, was the one. And, uh, and also remember being dragged down there to go to Mac Fisheries, which is a little bit more down the high street as well. So uh, I had to go to the bus stop in Hounslow to make sure that me and my mum and the, the, the whole family can go to Mac Fisheries to get some fish. But this is going a bit left field, isn't it? <laughs> what are we talking about? But anyway, this, this is deviating massively from the QPR game that was on uh, Monday night, which we'll come to in a little bit as well. But a little point as well, remember our, our man Herman Ryderson? As well, which we loved very well, yep. and uh, he went over to play. Uh, he went over to India to, to manage a team in India. I think he went to co-manage a team with David James. I think he was at Kerala, and uh, he was somewhere else as well. We've been talking to him loads of stuff about loads of bits and pieces. But the old, the old Portsmouth connection there, then. Ah, well, that's right. Well, now he's now at um, South End, the assistant manager at South End. And uh, there's a Portsmouth connection there as well. I don't know who's the manager as well. It's not David James. It's somebody else who's the who's the manager at. Um, that's right, Saul Campbell. Yeah, Saul Campbell. That's right because they they lost their first match seven one, but they weren't fully in charges then. So you can imagine some sort of because uh, he's a pretty crazy guy, Herman, as well. And hopefully we should hear from him soon in this sort of your final year at Brentford. But um, yeah, he's he's at South End. The, la- the last time I saw Herman was at the um, what's that silly cup called? The you know the League One, League Two cup. I can't remember what it's called. The now. FL Trophy when the he was FL on the pitch. Trophy, yeah, he was on the pitch, wasn't he? he? Had the microphone. He was singing a Portsmouth song or something. He flo- he's actually again he'd flown in from India, I think, for that EFL Trophy game versus was that the Sunderland game? Uh, yeah, that was yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. They won as well. They did. They did win. They won on penalties. That's yeah, good. Right. good. It was a good good penalty winner that. That's right. So Herman and Ryderson, like I said to you. It's and bits is as well, you know, we're just talking about, we're just talking, we're just shooting the breeze here in the, in the intro as well, uh, because we've got to talk about QB on a bit and that's going to take a lot off our chest as well. Um, Saturday, tell you something as well, um, Saturday, rugby, as we call it, the Rugby World Cup final. Listen, it would not be fair if we did not mention, you know, it's a sport, it's a big sport, a lot of people love it. Um, we, 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 we play an interest to it you know I've seen it used to play it back in the day a long time ago school a little bit it wasn't very good you know and I do understand what's going on but when it comes to the BG the big game you know you have to just wheel it out so on Saturday Rugby World Cup final 9 o'clock uh, we're going to be down the boozer we're going to be probably down the globe very early watching the Rugby World Cup final um, and it should be good because it's going to hopefully start off a very good day for, uh, for us with the Huddersfield game a bit later on can I just warn everybody that this game starts at nine o'clock and it's actually an offence to be drunk in a football ground. Just bear that in mind. Ooh, tell you, policeman, policeman, GP. Uh, hello, Ken. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know the house. But um, I was going to say this. Talk about sort of 
It's interesting because like with the rugby, it's it's sort of slightly different for football because you know you get this massive euphoria with the football with the World Cup. The whole country goes completely mad. Everyone's really potty for it. People that don't necessarily go, but there's this euphoria. Whereas rugby is obviously a smaller supported sport, but people do jump on it at the right time. But obviously, like my good self, there's a bit of bandwagon jumping on when it comes onto it, just because you think you know. This is the time to watch it. Not, not knocking it. It's a good sport and it's very exciting. But you do jump on that bandwagon at, at particular times. And I'm telling the Allard, you've, you've noticed a bit of bandwagon jumping, haven't you? Uh, no, no, not so much the bandwagon jumping. I, I won't be jumping on the bandwagon. It's, it's not my thing. But it is different to football. And this is why it's different to football. Is I, was listen, I was listening to Five Live last week. And um, there were two people that were, wouldn't, weren't able to watch the, the, the semi-final. Um, that had rung up. One of them wasn't able to watch because they were going to a Star Trek convention, which, you know, what, whatever, that's fine. The other one, because they were going to a rugby match. Now, I'm not being funny, just leave earlier and get there, go to the pub, watch the game. I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just wondering as well, but has there any been, can you, anyone to admit around there? Maybe not, because I'll catch you on the hop here. Has there been any time that you've just decided, oh, I might as well just jump on this. Everyone seems to be on this now. I'm going to, I'm going to jump on, on the bandwagon on this one. Could be anything at all. No, not really. No, I, I had an argument with a rugby fan when I um, offended. It doesn't have to be rugby. It could be anything. Any bandwagon jumper, you just sort of, oh, this is quite good. You know, it could be, you know, it could be pole dancing. It could be, you know, it, it could be, <laughs> it could be sort of ABBA. I mean, anything. No, I can't really think of it. I mean, I do remember. I mean, I generally tend to, if England are going to do well at a sport, I'll kind of tune in. And I do remember drawing the line when Great Britain were going to, in the Winter Olympics, were going to be in the curling. So I turned, so I literally turned on and I thought, right, I'll, I'll watch this, watch us win it. And about 45 seconds, I thought, I'm not watching this. Like, I jumped on and I very quickly jumped off the curling bandwagon and I realised I knew nothing about it. I had no idea what was going on. Yeah, lad. I've done so much curling bandwagon jumping, I'm now an expert on it. Um, and I've even played it a couple of times. So I guess I do do bandwagon jumping, yeah. Listen, the fly men, have you, have you jumped? It doesn't matter. I mean, listen, 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 we're all amongst friends here and, and people don't mind because, you know, they probably all do it at some stage. But at some stage you sort of think, tell you what, I'll tuck into a bit of that because, you know, all my mates are, everyone else is. And you sit there like, like pretending that you've been there for, for years. Yeah, so um, I was in Australia a couple of years ago and... Um, and the uh, the Aussie rules was uh, was happening at the time, and uh, I never even really watched it before. But you know, I got into it. Everyone was everyone was the beers were flowing and everything. And you just you just go with it, don't you? And um, and I had a great night to be honest. So uh, so yeah, I've got I've got no shame in admitting that it was uh, I was I was definitely hooked for that night. But I've not really watched it since. If I'm honest. Do you know the rules? No. Do I? No. Do you have any idea what was going on at the time? Uh, vaguely. Vaguely. No. No. You didn't. Do, no. <laughs> yeah, Bill, you must have done. You've done some football bandwagon jumping, I'm sure, haven't you, Bill? Oh, bandwagon! As we know, I like football, so I'll go. And, I'll find any excuse. As my wife says to me, you'll find literally any excuse to go to a football match. So, uh, yes, I, I will go and watch teams play, whether or not it's you know on a Sunday. Sunday mornings now is my latest one. You know, oh yeah, I've got to go out and watch a bit of training. Watch, you know. So you're out watching the Sunday, Saturday afternoons. You know, midweek. 
any excuse to watch a football match, I will do that. So yes, I do like there's other teams that I do like out there and I do watch play. You know, I've been to see the Ham I haven't seen Ham Hamlets play for a while, but I am going to go and see them play in the FA Cup next week. They're playing Carlisle on Friday night, so uh, I'm going to be trying to get a ticket. They've been queuing around the block to get tickets for that, but that'll be a lot of fun. And I'm embarrassed to say, my, my biggest sort of football bandwagon jumping was probably when um, Kingstonian knocked Brentford out of the FA Cup, and I lived in Kingston, so I thought, fuck it, I'll just go on the Kingstonian bandwagon for the rest of the FA Cup. There you go, but listen, it's non-league, so they'd probably say that's probably... Sl sl they'll probably forgive you for that slightly as well. I have to say on the rugby thing, and the funny thing is that obviously, probably because of uh, being traumatised from being told to play at school, where my school was a grammar school, so it wouldn't allow you to play football, you only had to play rugby, um, and then you know after you leave, you think, oh, I'm in the football, they wouldn't allow me to, so the, the, the rugby thing, you know, sort of kind of developed into a sort of kind of like, oh no, dun dun dun. However, you know, of course, when... England got through to the Rugby World Cup final. I remember they got through to the Rugby World Cup final in 2003 when I was living in South West Hampstead. And I remember getting up very early because it was in Australia, going to the pub and watching that. And that was a, that was a lot of fun. But, but the best one is that 2007, I think, it was, I think that was in the Andy Scott years. I'm not 100% sure. Around about 2007, Andy Scott years and Brentford had tongling along 2007 in October. England got through to the World Cup final in France. And uh, me, who'd been taking the piss out of rugby, calling it rugby and all this kind of stuff, oh, tell you something, let's pop on a train. So me and King Tut popped on a train over to Paris, as you do, for the Rugby World Cup final to actually watch the game under the Eiffel Tower. So there's England versus uh, South Africa under the Eiffel Tower in, uh, in France because, you know, again, sort of, oh, we might as well do it for a laugh. And the funny thing is we got on the train to Dover, then we got on the ferry to Dover. But the weird thing about it is that you're on the ferry to Dover and what had happened was that... Um, as we got on the train, you start talking to people and all the football people that were on the train kind of gravitated to each other because it's almost like you kind of all knew that you were football people. So before you knew it, basically there's like a whole load of football people. There's Wolves, there was Watford, there was Ask Me, there's Chelsea. There's about 10, 12, 14 of us all talking to each other and sort of kind of like that. And they all sort of knew that they weren't, you know, they were like, oh yeah, we all jumped on the bandwagon come out there. So it's quite funny how sort of football people can sort of kind of sort of magnetise and just find themselves in, in the middle of sort of tens of thousands of people and uh, yeah we went there we, we were actually going to stay out all night because we thought it was going to be a massive party except the French don't know really how to party so we were out at 2 o'clock in the morning and uh, they just decided to shut all the bars we didn't have a hotel or anything to stay in it was about minus 40 degrees so it, it wasn't the best of nights we, uh, we actually ended up going back to the station to get the earliest train home but it was a, a bit of a bandwagon job anyway so which is all good but look Moving on to a couple of serious uh, subjects, or I say a serious subject, we just we talked a couple of weeks ago and um, we did a podcast um, and a radio show, and the, it all kicked off in Bulgaria with the, the racism with England, the Bulgarian fans being racist, and uh, a lot of people were really disgusted by it. I told a lot of my own personal tales and how I felt about it, and uh, we were saying about how we felt the football clubs and the authorities, even though some of them may try, they need to actually nip the nail on the head a little bit better. And also the authorities aren't doing the right things. Well, UEFA have finally come up with their fine for Bulgaria and they've fined them uh, 75,000 euros, which is 64,000 pounds. And they've ordered them to play two matches behind closed doors, which is one is suspended for two years. So in effect, they've got one match behind closed doors and 64,000 pound fine for this abuse. Now, a lot of people are already saying, tell you what, I knew they should have walked off because if they walked off, it would have been a much bigger statement than us giving them a bit of a whipping and then them getting this fine. But again, this kind of goes to show you where the authorities don't seem to have this situation locked down 
from a punishment point of view? GP? No, I mean, it's not a punishment at all, especially to the fans. I'm not being funny. He's lost 6-0 at home, so they probably rewarded the fans by locking him out. But um, on a serious note, it's... Similarly, again, I've, I, I mean, I've personally said that the only way they, they're going to need to start banning countries, I mean, like, they did, like they did with England back in the day, you know, there were multiple offences, so in the end we were banned for five, you know, it wasn't a two-year ban, it was an indefinite ban straight away for violence. Um, unless they go, unless they're, re- if they're really serious, they'd start going down that route, and I don't think they are. I mean, I think you've got a fair point there as well, Gaz. I mean, I mentioned this before as well. You know, it's interesting they have to play behind closed doors. So, you know, unfortunately, the teams that actually play them, their fans have to suffer. And for me, I just think it'd be hilarious if they just kind of said, look, you have to give, you know, 40,000 tickets to, to the opposition, opposition fans. They get their tickets for free. You pay for their, their drinks. You, you pay, pay, pay the for their accommodation, away. you know. They uh, can play the games away. Yeah, you can make them play the games away. But, I mean, that's, I think that's... No, away against the team they're playing. No, but I think that's less of a punishment than it being at home and having 40,000 fans in your own backyard. I mean, for me, travelling quite a lot, I mean, I think that'd be fantastic. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, too you know? good for you, though. Yeah, well, you know. I mean, uh, the Allod. Yeah, I, I think until you do something like um, take them out of a World Cup qualifying campaign or something like that, I don't really know... You know, I, I, I just, is, is this going to solve it? The other point is, is, is and I haven't, I, I've not followed it so much. Have, have the, has anything happened in Bulgaria? Have the perpetrators been identified? Yeah, they, Are there... they, they arrested about four or five people, you know, and a few people um, resigned, stroke, I think they were told to resign. And you know that this thing's going to happen because the pressure is on, so they probably just plucked a few people out of the board and just said, look, there we, we're doing something about it. But the reality is that, um, if they had done, this wouldn't happen in England, and I say this particular thing wouldn't happen in England, because what you had is you had people who were on TV, Z Carling doing this stuff, and in England they wouldn't do that because they know that they'd be seen, they'd be caught, they'd be lambasted, they'll be absolutely torn to pieces, so they wouldn't do it. So what's happened is that, love or hate it, the security that we've got here, the way the police operate it, the way, you know, that this is all locked down... Things like that can't happen. So, not saying that racism doesn't happen because it's actually shifted into different areas, but it isn't as prominent as it is over there. Whereas over there, they obviously know they get away with it week in and week out. They can get away with it. They're bold and brazen, and they haven't got their systems in place to deal with it. So, what they need to be concentrating on is how them actually spending money to put their systems in place and their security in place to make it happen. And if they they have to fly English police over to let them know how to do it and it costs them loads of money that's what they should be doing but if all they're going to get is one game behind closed doors what is driving them to want to do it no but the same but this should be part of the punishment this should be part of it it's almost like an eight part plan and what of it is the security thing and then all of a sudden somebody signs it off to say right you've got that sorted you know about stadium security you know about CCTV you know whatever it may be but, yeah yeah I, no, no I agree but they still need to want to do it do they want to do it? Well, you know, if they're if they're banned, you know, if they're fined or if they're out of the competition, then they'll 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 have to do it. But yeah, but does it need a ban to make them want to do it, rather than just just a game behind closed doors and losing a bit of revenue? It is again and again. We just we just thought we'd touch on this subject because it's a it's a topical point at the moment. Now the news came out, you know, 24 hours ago, and uh, and I just thought again we'll just we'll just bring it up because you know just coming back to the UK, in the UK as well. We need to be active. We can't keep pointing our finger at places like Bulgaria and go, oh, look at you, you've got it all wrong, we're so good, because we've still got problems to sort out here, but I'm not going to go on to another ranter about that as well. Richard Keogh, however, 
that's another bit of news that's come out because Richard Keir, as you know, Derby captain, he was uh, in the back of a car when a couple of his mates were rather drunk, uh, crashed the car, they just ran away, allegedly, I'm going to say allegedly, they ran away, and they went, oh no, we've left Keir in the back of the car. So they turned up back about 45 minutes later, and the police were there, and they got done, done by their clubs, and they, they got fined, they got all sorts of punishments by their club. Um, Keo was uh, as part of the party, and uh, he's been sacked today for his involvement in this situation. Now, uh, there's been a little bit of uproar about this, because first, there's a couple of situations there. Is obviously, the Derby County fans weren't happy because they thought that the players have brought their club into disrepute, they've embarrassed them, they've done, you know, men to be professionals, and they haven't done what they have to do. But, um, but you know, they got the punishment, which some people was or wasn't strong enough, but some of these players were good players, and Derby County weren't going to let them go because they thought, oh, God, these are good assets of ours, we need to just damage limitation. However, Richard Keogh, They've let him go. The Allard. Why do you think that is? Um, so, I don't, I don't want to come across as, as defending Richie Keogh um, because he's probably fully got what he's deserved. But the point I'm going to make is that if he was 28 years old, was worth 15 million or 20 million um, and, and still was captain and on a three-year contract, I don't believe they'd have sacked him. I, I think it's purely a financial decision. I don't think there's any principles from the club behind this. Um, I mean, in fact, you, can, you know it's financial because they've e- they even offered to sort of take Keogh's contract down. Um, that the first offer they made to him was was, all, was to actually save money and just pay him, you know, a percentage of his contract out. Um, and you know, I, so yeah, I'm not defending Richard Keogh at all, but I, it's a financial decision driven by the fact that you know he's on the scrap heap. Yeah, there does seem there does seem to be a bit of uh, double standards going on here in terms of the way Derby have played this. You know, um, obviously the Kia was a passenger; he wasn't driving the car; he hadn't broken the law as such. Obviously, he hadn't he hadn't you know obeyed the terms of his contracts as such. But you know, you've got to question why the um, the other two got away with it, and uh, and I'm sure Kia's lawyers will be uh, following on that inquiry uh, in the weeks to come. Again, and again, I'm not, I'm not a lawyer as such, but we've been dealing with quite a lot of legal stuff in the last uh, few weeks or so, and I suppose at the end of the day, when it comes to law, you have to deal with the facts, and I suppose what they'll look at in the situation is that, was he in breach of his contract or not? And they would have actually probably not sacked him unless they felt that he was in breach of his contract. So whether or not they did or didn't sack the other two, the fact that he was in breach of his contract, that would be give, enough for them to have sacked it. Whether or not he's fair or not is a different scenario. GP? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly the point. Going back to what you said, they offered him um, reduced terms. And, you know, that uh, that is very transparent in what they were doing. You know, by getting rid of him, they've probably taken about 100 grand a month off their um, off their wage bill. So, which will help them with FFP, of course. Exactly. I mean, I did say, you know, I know it's not a laughing matter, but I'm not surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if they've actually just sold him to their um, to their owner. <laughs> probably sold him to himself just to you know say oh yeah he's worth 20 million so but there you go to write that money off but as I say I, they played this very badly they look very bad it's very transparent um, the fact that they there was no meaningful um, action against the two players um, that they pretty much been picked and in the side other than what the one game immediately after just speaks volumes also, they've got to pay for Rain Rooney as well, who's coming in in a couple of months' time. But listen, we'll just move on quickly as well. And on some positive notes as well, I want to say 
I've met loads and loads and loads of people that I've never met before, I've seen before, but didn't really know them. Who've come up to us, given us some really positive um, points about the podcast. People that we, you know never knew listened to it. They've said they've been listening to it. They've been really enjoying it. Given us a big thumbs up. You know, particularly they talked about, like I said, the racism podcast was one that's got really, 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 really positive. A lot of positive feedback as well. But all the other ones, the Rasmus Ankerson one as well. So, like I said to you, all the people that have come up to us in the pubs, in and around the ground, just take your time out to say hello. I appreciate it. To myself, Laney, all the crew that are around here, thanks very much for listening. Leave your thumbs up. Get your mates to go on to iTunes and give us a, a like, give us a follow. You know, write a review, it's really great. And I'll be said to you, we're going to read out a couple of reviews, and we need to just do that now. Um, SJAB on iTunes as well said, informative and amusing group of lads and sometimes lasses having a few beers and chatting about Brentford FC. Mr. Allard's astute assessments of players, formations, and tactics are always spot on. Thursday's pre-match podcasts are always the best, but post-match ones with interviews from never miss an episode. So that's from the SJAB. Thank you very much for your review on that one as well. Astute, eh? Yeah, that's better than the last time you read out. Uh, how's, how's your brother? Yeah, that's, that's yeah, that's better than last time you read out a review of my um, <laughs> of, of me on the um, podcast and was outed for wearing a Chelsea top when I was a kid. Right. We've got another one as well um, from Bees Forever as well. It's essential listing, another five-star review as well for all Bees fans, but especially if, like me, you live out of town, Nottingham, and can't get to many games as you'd like. Knowledgeable, insightful, irreverent, and very funny. All the crew are great, but I particularly like Liberal's shrewd analysis. Well done, guys. Keep it up. Now, I'll tell you something. It was all going well till they talked about the Liberal is shrewd analysis. Yeah, so at this point, you start, you do start to wonder whether, you know, who's writing these reviews. So, um, yeah. So he goes, and another one, Alan of Bracknell, always a good listen. The Besotted Crew of the Pride of West London, the rest of the world, and loads of bees and thumbs up. So it's all good. So listen, brilliant. Thanks for it. We love you really, Nick. No, no. Listen, love you. Thanks for the grooves. Go to iTunes. Give us, a, give us a review. Just give us a thumbs up. Follow us all over the place, which is all good. And as well, in the pub as well, Amber Cousins as well. And her crew met them on Friday, uh, Monday night after the QPR game. They were very happy. We were all very happy. And everyone else has given us a shout. But listen, we need to actually talk about the game because we've been just going off on a little bit one because we've just been saving this one because we can't wait to talk about it. We have got a match that we played on Monday night. And uh, at the match, I spoke to fans in the stadium, outside the stadium, in the pub, QPR fans, Brentford fans, to tell them what they thought about Brentford beating QPR 3-1. We're just a bus stopping out of We're a bloody good team. Two excellent results in the space of a week. Two away victories. Thomas Rank, a magic magician. We were played really well first half, second half. Rangers changed their tactics, pressed us even hard, harder. I thought, you know, some players needed to step up to the plate a bit in the second half, but no criticisms. And that final goal from Watkins gave a really deserved victory for the Bees today. It is, it is wonderful to come to this place and overturn Rangers. The team, you look at the team, they really look as though they're a band of brothers. They really play for the, themselves and they play for the club and they play for the badge. Let's get moving. Let's go up the list. We can do this, Bill. We can go this season. Magic, mate. Yeah. They give me a lot more satisfaction than last Tuesday. To get get three points here, 
highlight of the season. Fantastic game. I have to say QPR played very well. We weathered the storm a bit. So, so my voice is gone. We're much better now at controlling the game. We can contain opposition. We're much better under pressure than we were a couple of years ago. So full respect to Thomas Frank. Apparently we're just the bus stop in Hounslow. They say London bus is coming too, so they came in threes tonight. Three goals, fantastic. What a game, what a performance. Amazing performance by the whole team really in that whole club. You know, and to win that in the last minute, because uh, they, they, to be fair to them, they came on at us and we had to stand up and we had to be counted there tonight. And uh, team dug in and I think the, we deserved we deserved that over the whole I have to say actually towards the end even before we scored the third goal I was questioning myself how good is this Brentford team and is this one or if not the best Brentford teams I've seen obviously we don't want to get ahead of ourselves but as you say we've got players like Ben Rama and of course we've got Watkins um, and we've got the uh, Troy the young lads uh, Brian uh, Brian, Brian. From Troy yeah uh, you know, he's, got, he's only going to improve as he gets more game time. Yes. Brentford were incisive. QPR weren't as good as they could be. Whether that was because they weren't sharp enough or whether it was because Brentford stopped them playing, you can never tell. Manning didn't get forward as often as he would do. Um, possibly if we were doing better, they might have taken Rangel off and put Kane on. That's somebody coming down the other side. And two properly attacking full-backs would have made a real difference. Um, you could have you won 3-1, you could have won by a lot more than that if the goalie hadn't have made, uh, Kelly hadn't have made some really good saves, very sharp saves. I think the um, I think the defence, I looked at Jean Vier, I think he did things that he's not really done before. He looked very, very controlled. He's, uh, he, he gives us that benefit. He can kick with both feet. I thought it was fantastic today. I thought defence was very, very controlled. Um, and, and moving through to the midfield, they all fought hard, and then up to Watkins, who I thought worked very hard as well. You know, they're, they're number 10 and 11, and apologies, I don't know their names, but I think they were a little bit a class above the other nine players that QPR had. And um, I've got to say, I think, I think our midfield, we, we cope with them, we try to shut them down. And in the second half especially, th- those two players, which were very, very good players, couldn't really do as much as they should do. I, I, I'm really pleased to see at the moment, I think, Brentford are pushing. It's like we're away from home. I, I look at the Swansea game. We were exceptional there in many ways. The goals were very, very good. But it wasn't only that to me. It was also the fact that we pushed forward. Every time their defence had the ball, we were chasing them. And that's why I was complimenting Watkins earlier. I think that Watkins did that tonight. And it's really good to see we're not just hanging back. We've had a couple of games where we hung back behind the halfway line, give team time to play, swap the sides. And that hasn't always worked. And I think today it did. You know, we pushed forward and it was good stuff. So that's the view from the fans from the pub. Keep your fans, Brentford fans, as you heard them. They're in the stadium. The bus stop in Hounslow chant was there, properly loud as well. And also in the pub afterwards, keep your fans as well, giving us props. And I'll just say to you, it's the manners. You know, okay, we may be rivals to them, we may not want to beat them, we may want to take the fizz out of them all the time, but you still do the manners. And at the end of the day, to be fair, they had us back in their pub afterwards. There was loads of bees fans in there. Not that many keep your, to be fair, but they took it. We had lots of drinks. I actually left there at a quarter to one in the morning and uh, realised that I'd lost the last bus, my last train, my last everything, but I didn't care. And I managed to get home very far away in, uh, by somehow, not quite sure how, but um, it was a very good night. But anyway, I mean, I had a great night at Rangers and I was in the lower tier at Rangers, but we've got four people around 
the table here, and we had four people in four different places watching that QPR game. The Allards, you were uh, watching that game uh, somewhere differently, weren't you? Yeah, I, I decided after all the faffing around with how they were going to sell the tickets and putting the expensive tickets on sale first, all that stuff, I decided quite early in the ticket selling process that I had the ump and, um, and I was going to go and watch it in the pub. So I went, I, yeah, I went to the Globe to watch it. And, and, and funny, because obviously the situation got resolved, you know, okay, as it usually does two weeks before. And uh, you, you had a bit of time to sort of change your mind and, uh, and tuck right in and a bit of terrace action. Did, was, was it too, too late by then? Yeah, I, it's a bit weird. I just kind of decided, yeah, I just thought, as a consumer, I've got a, you know, I don't have to give you my money and I'm actually not going to. And, and I know, I know this probably, QPR couldn't give a shit, but I just felt that, you know, I just thought, no, I'm not, they're not having my money, they can piss off, I'll go and watch it in the pub. And, you know, it was an, it's an easier decision to make when it's on telly. Um, maybe if it hadn't been on TV, it would have been a completely different decision. And obviously, there was a point in the 93rd minute or whenever it was when I regretted the decision to some extent. That's right, and you were with a couple of more bees that normally go home in a way as well, in the, in the buzz pub as well, weren't you? Yeah, I wasn't the only one doing it. There was three of us, four of us actually, and, um, and you know, all for similar reasons. We just, you know, just get the ump with it. But they piss about with it every year, um, and, um, and it's a crap. It's not, you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of that. It's all right, the lower tiers are right that way, and the upper tier is a farce from when I've been up there because you can't even see the goal line. Maybe it's changed in recent times, but... Um, yeah, I've, I've, I've wasted too much money watching football uh, in the away end at QPR to some extent. And, and GP, just quickly, I mean, you were at upper tier, you know, as opposed to lower tier. Do you are right up there? The atmosphere right up there, was it? Yeah, the atmosphere was fine up there. There was a little bit of space. Obviously, we didn't quite sell out, but that was probably because of QPR's allocation, um, shenanigans and releasing tickets and people like the Allardy can travel across three travel card zones to get to. Could you see the goal line? Could you see the goal line? I could see the goal line and I could see the goal and I saw plenty of Brentford goals. Didn't see too many QPR goals. But, um, I mean, I wasn't able to see the far corner, but nothing meaningful happened there. And the Flarman, you again, you had a different view from the rest of us as well, didn't you? Yeah, unfortunately, my, uh, my wife was ill, so I was due to be there, but um, I had to uh, settle for the sofa in the end due to uh, childcare responsibilities. But I enjoyed the game all the same. It was uh, fantastic, and I leapt off the sofa three times. So, uh, yeah. Which is good. And, and the, the reason why I say that, mention that, is that we can also give our different opinions here as we're talking about the game because you, you had a lot of the commentary. You saw what's going on. You had the replays. We've had no replays. I mean, I've watched the game back a few times now. As I got in at two thirty in the morning, I made sure that I watched the game back over and over again. Can't remember any of it, but um, I'm sure it was very good. But that QBR game, it was um, it was a result which, for me, going into that game, I actually wasn't nervous. And part of the reason why is because the position that we were in, the position that they were in, and I felt that there's no pressure on us. And uh, for me, that kind of helped my nerves to a certain extent. I mean, I was a bit nervous towards the back end. Um, do you think that also helped the team? I mean as well because they, they went there and they really I thought they performed magnificently truly professional uh, yeah I agree with that Bill I think pressure was off you know I don't think any of us really expected to, to win in, in, in the manner we did at Swansea um, I certainly looking at the two away games Swansea and QPR I would have probably taken two points if I'm honest but 
the win, the fact we got the win at Swansea and so emphatically as well, I think took, really took the pressure off and we could just go out and express ourselves at QPR and we, we certainly did that. So, um, yeah, it was, it was great. It was great. And, I mean, it was Mark Warburton versus Thomas Frank in this match. Mark Warburton, well-known. Brentford fans still love him because at the end of the day, he, he did take us to... He, he got us promoted and he took us to the, the playoffs of the championship. You know, again, not going to go on too much about it, but there's other stuff that, that went on that which, which didn't do him any favours. But when it comes to a footballing perspective, you know, he, he, he did some very good stuff for us. Now, do you think that that game played into our hands... Uh, very much so. Um, I think we we were better than QPR, and they're weak at the back. I, I think if you look at the game, what happened and the score does reflect the strengths and weaknesses of both teams. We don't concede goals very often. We are quite tight at the back. QPR only got one. QPR crap at the back. We got three. It's interesting, and I say that you talk about that because um, SU Dave last week. When we had um, Gareth, really good QPR fan that we had in the, in the... If you haven't listened to it, have a listen back to the QPR podcast. It'd be nice listening to it after the game as well because you can hear a lot of points and things that were discussed, and particularly by Gareth, the QPR fan, which you, after you've seen the game now, it might resonate with you. But he said a couple of things, and XG Dave, to be fair to him, was saying, Mark Warburton, no, mate, I don't think he's learnt by his mistakes. You know, they're yeah, great at the attack, but, you know, he hasn't learnt by the defensive thing. I think he was really terrible in defence and he's going to get found out. I think, um, I think you know... We've seen Warburton, we all know he builds a team from the front, if you know what I mean. I think what we've seen this year, and it's frustrated a lot of people early in the season, is we've actually built a team from the back, and, and now it's starting to click going forwards, which is, which is great. But we've, you know, the amount of goals we've let in, 11 in 13 or something, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but, um, and whereas Warburton has always built from the front, and, and, that's, and that's great, because it's great to some extent, because it's bloody brilliant to watch. Um, you know, and, and if we looked at the nine or ten games into the season, we were pulling our air out and QPR were jumping around having a great time. But I think we really saw it um, on Monday night that, 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 you know, where there are some faults in, in Warburton's sort of system or setup, um, they're just not as, they're not that good at the back, QPR. Uh, Leisner, I've always thought he's a bit of a liability, a bit flat-footed, strong in the air. He'll win the ball if you're going to lump it and stuff like that. But, you know, just a bit of a liability, really. And, and you kind of saw that on, you know, they're, they're trying to pass, QPR trying to pass the ball out from the back. They didn't look overly comfortable at doing it. Um, and, you know, it just gave us an opportunity, even though I don't think we, we, were, we were the better team. But, you know, the, the stats suggest that, you know, QPR had more of the ball than we did. Um, and it just gave us that opportunity to, you know, keep hitting them. And when we hit them, we were lethal. Um, when they hit us, we defended well. Yeah, so it shows, um, again, it shows how strong we are. Although they had a lot of the ball, they didn't have very many chances. And we felt very comfortable when we went in at halftime. Um, I know people around here were saying, well, you know, felt comfortable, no pressure. I, I mean, I'm, you know... I have traumatic memories of the last two years where we've conceded multiple goals in short periods of time. So I knew that, especially at 1-0, that game could have turned around very quickly. Um, we conceded a goal and we um, responded very well to conceding that goal. Talking about goals, Ollie Watkins, 
Now, there's been a lot of talk about Ollie Watkins, we talk about him every week. It's interesting when you talk to my mates, you know, from who don't support Brentford um, and see it from afar. All they go on about is Ollie Watkins, Ollie Watkins, Ollie Watkins. He's a brilliant player, he's a brilliant player. Interesting, I was chatting to my Brighton chum as well, because I was saying to him, you know, you can send more payback if you're not happy with him, like I was just joking with him. And he says to me, yeah, you can have Malpay, we will have Ollie Watkins. And it's like, for them, they're sort of thinking that, you know, I think Ollie Watkins is a much more complete player. Now, the fact that he's actually kind of um, converted himself, because, you know, he went into that role, that striker role, said, look, you know, just give us, you know, be patient with me, be patient with me. But, and uh, he's worked his socks off. He's scored, he's the second top goal scorer in the league with 10 goals, you know, behind Mitrovic as well. If you're in any other team, you'd be looking at Oli Watkins thinking, oh, my God, when Brentford come down, I'm going to be really scared of this guy. He's a definite threat. And... Uh, You've got to give the geezer some props. I mean, he's he's doing probably what we thought that he wouldn't do, isn't he? He's working his socks off, and he's and to be honest, he's adapted pretty quickly um, to playing up front. He's he to, to some extent. I've always kind of thought he has he should have the ability to play up front. He's strong. He's quite strong on the ball. He doesn't get knocked off the ball easily. Um, there are a lot, but. But they have a lot of the attributes you need. However, what what I've never thought he's particularly like doing is playing with the ball, with the, with his back to the goal. He wants the ball in front of him and to run at players. And the role he's playing in now means he does have to do more of that work when he's got his back to the goal. Sometimes just keep it simple, lay it off, something like that. And um, yeah, he's adapted and he's scoring goals. And ultimately, you know, strikers do get judged on how many goals they score whether that's right or wrong that's you know we, we can all argue about that uh, it's not necessarily what I look for in a centre forward but a lot of people do he's scoring goals and, and, and we're seeing more of him linking the play so yeah he's doing a great job I don't know I don't know what plan B is if he gets injured but he is doing a great job I've, I've been really impressed with Watkins this season I think especially when you think last season I thought he was only at 75% at best he wasn't really firing a in his sort of natural, if you if you like, wing wing position, um, he's he's come on leaps and bounds. He's obviously he's he's learnt a lot already this season. He's getting in the positions. That opening goal on uh, Monday night. I mean, he you know he, he made it look easy really, but actually he timed his run to perfection and and it was a great goal. And then obviously the one at the end was was you know a relatively easy finish. But you know you still got to get into those positions and and he's making the runs. He's working really hard off the ball, and and I think he's doing a fantastic job. Ben Rama, there was a lot of talk about Easy from KPR. They said to him, you know, Gareth was on last week and he said, you need to, look, if you can lock Easy down, not let him get do what he's going to do, then um, then you're going to win this game because he's kind of one of their top creative players. And I think that we did a, a relatively good job. He saw that he was a good player and a skillful player, but we kind of locked them down. And also they didn't get that many chances inside the area. The one that they did get... Um, well, the, 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 the shot before their goal was actually from outside the area as well. And it's a great save from Raya as well. But again, it's one of those ones where he could have gone anywhere, but it was, you know, top corner, he saved it. And then they got a, a header from just inside the area. But other than that, they were very limited and easy. Even though he was a skillful player, he was doing his runs, playing the ball about skills. We did a very good job on him. That's their skillful player. Our skillful player is Ben Rama. And Ben Rama... <laughs> There's a couple of moves that he did which were just shocking and uh, they've been made into memes out there and put out there and people are actually raving about them. I mean, even the QPR fans, you know, they said, love chair. 
He's a young and extremely talented, but look at what Ben Rama produced for Brentford last season. And now he's hit forms. He seems to be totally on it again. On this day, he's arguably the best player in the championship. His ability is outrageous. That's from a Keep the R fan online as well. I mean, the Allard, he's, 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 when he's on fire, he's on fire. And he, he didn't even have his best game either, did he? He had a very, very good game. Uh, he's he. It took him a long. It's taken him a fair amount of time this season, and people have been frustrated. We've all been frustrated, including me. Uh, but he's he's absolutely clicking now, and um, he's starting to look like that player that we all know he is, and a player that is going to command so, quite a big sum. Um, when <laughs> potentially, it is well. Does it depend where we are in the league? But, yeah, he's, he's going to command a good sum, isn't he, at some point? OK, I'm going to come back to the point in a minute, but I'm just... Because I forget these points, but I remember. It depends on where we are in the league. I'm going to come to that now, because that's quite important, because, listen, let's not get ahead of ourselves. We've won, we've, okay, we've won three games in a row, but we've also seen a fair few sides that have played. We played QPR, who, if they won that game... They would have gone second. Okay, so QPR, you know, on a good run. Okay, they're letting a lot of goals, but they score a lot of goals. They were beaten earlier in the season by Swansea, who, by beating them, if I remember rightly, went top of the league. Okay, and we just smashed them 3 0. Now, okay, these are all ifs and buts and maybes, but indicators. But you say where we are in the league. Derby County finished sixth last season as well, got into the playoffs as well. And you know me, I'm not slag them off for any other reason, but I thought Derby County were fairly average, but they had some players who could score goals from anywhere on the pitch almost last season as well. And they're a fast counter-attacking side and they, they got away with it. This season, this where you are in the league type scenario, do you think? Well, the, the ultimate point about where you are in the league is that we're four points off second. You know, that... that it, Forget who's played who and, and all of that stuff. We're four points off second. We are. We're in touch. Do you know what I mean? That, so, and that's why I'm saying where we are in the league. Because, you know, if you're four points off second and you've still got I don't know how many games till Christmas, eight games till Christmas. Who knows where we'll be in the league? Yeah. So I mean, if you look at the games where we haven't picked up points, yeah, we've got games other than Leeds. We've never really been outplayed. Forest who uh, won the pre-season favourites. Um, it was a nothing game. They just, you know, took the char- the one chance they had. At the beginning of the season, I said, the first half of the season is going to be about us trying to stay in contention. And then we can kind of gauge where we are. Do we need to buy another player? Do we need to get somebody else in? Are we in a position to do upgrades? Will we let players go? Those decisions will be made, depending on where we are, at the end of January, we can stay within three points of the playoffs and within four points a second. Then there's not a cat in hell a chance that the likes of Ben Rama and um, and Watkins will go. Um, I, again, I, I I pray that we can hold on to them because I think what my my concern with Watkins was that we were taking the abilities he has deeper in the pitch and putting them at the front, and if we had a couple of games where he didn't really see the ball enough and we, did, we weren't able to get him in the game and those were when we went through that period where we scored like in about you know we were about six seven games where we didn't score goals now I mean you saw the ball that um, Mbomo put in for um, Watkins now you're starting to see him develop that and you're starting to see De Silva um, starting to come to the fore as well which means that Watkins now getting more chance and Brentford are now looking like a force going forward as well 
Okay, I'm just going to come to it because you talked to Mbomo. Or again, we're going to get his pronunciation right because apparently, you know, if you're really French, you, you, he's pronounced differently. It's not Mbomo, it's Mbomo or Bumo. Um, but we'll get his pronunciation right within the next couple of weeks and we'll let you all know exactly what it is. But just coming back to this as well, he, again, was scored, all the, the, the analysts out there scored him very highly on that game. Um, he, he blows a little bit hot and cold sometimes, but he's obviously a very skillful player. Um, he, had a, he had a fairly decent game. He was pulled uh, a bit later on in the game, but he, he had a fairly decent game, didn't he? He is Mbumul, by the way, for the record. Um, I thought he did have a good game. Um, he's he, he's quick. He's um, he likes to uh, drop the shoulder. Um, he's a little bit le- too left-footed for me, but I'm sure I'm sure you know we'll see more we'll, more of his right foot over the uh, coming weeks and months. But he is, he is certainly a, a hot prospect and um, I know he was very highly rated in France before he came to us and, um, and we, there's, there's a lot more to come from him yet. There is. I mean, just got to quickly talk about the, I mean, the match summary, you know, just the plus points and the negative points. So QBR, they were effective creating goal-scoring opportunities from long-shot situations. So, which is interesting because, like I said to you, other than their goal, a lot of their chances came from outside the area, which is good for us, which means that we're not actually letting them get into the area. Um, where it's more dangerous, which is they were actually quite good at doing that before. And if you saw their XG, a lot, a lot of people hate XG, but they were actually creating chance in the area. But we stopped them from doing that. And uh, as we said this last week, we said, you know, we need to let our defence do their job. If we think they're good enough, we've got to let them do their job. And I think that our defence did really well in actually keeping QPR at bay, letting them out there, giving them the ball to do whatever they had to do, then losing it to us and we hit them on the break. Um, and that was it, what their strengths were. Um, and uh, the weaknesses that were caught offside quite often as well. For us, our strengths were we created a number of chances relative to our possession. So quite similar to the Swansea game. You know, the amount of possession we had, but the chances we created. So we are actually kind of creating chances from the, the relatively smaller possession that we had, which is good as well. Uh, creating goal-scoring opportunities from through balls as well. So we're actually making those balls through balls through. We're actually getting the ball to the front man. Uh, creating goal scoring opportunities from the flanks as well so we knew we were going to do that down the flanks we were told last week that their uh, their left hand side I think it was was uh, was weak so so yeah, we were doing that and also created goal scoring opportunities from counter attacks we knew we were going to do that as well let them get the ball away and bang hit them and we were strong at finishing and this is what we want to hear because in the last few weeks our finishing has been not as strong as that so that was good we were aggressive and we were caught offside often as well but you know we'll, we'll give them that but to me that is kind of a sign of a side that is doing the right things, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you see those, um, you know, one of those tables where defence, good defending, team that's good at defending and a team that's good at attacking yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and you want to be in that zone yeah. and it kind of feels like we're moving into that zone which is where we need to be, whereas we, we've been good at defending all season. There's no doubt about that. And we've just got that, that attacking now coming in. What I would say, actually, and I've seen those tables, even about a month ago, we were actually in the good attacking and good defending zone. But at the same time, if they put another table beside it, we were the energetically wasteful. So we were good attacking, but missing the goals. Now what we're doing, we're good attacking, but actually scoring the goals. I wish we could give people an insight into what those tables we're talking about are called. But, well, what but I'll try and do is I'll, I'll try and see if I'll dig them up and then I'll attach them to the information thing on this podcast and also on besotted.com when we put the article up. I'll see if I could dig them up. It might be a little bit later than uh, because I've got a busy day tomorrow, but I'll see if I could dig them up by the end of Thursday. Anyway. Um, I think we're, we're we're just starting to click now. I think um, the front three, especially, were absolutely sublime on Monday night. They all 
they all gelled really well. You know, we had, we had, I mean, we, how many, how many attacking opportunities did we have? We had three one-on-ones in that game for a start, and um, and I think you know we all knew it was going to take a little bit of time for these uh, for these new signings to to bed in, and, and it has. But now it's starting to click, and and you know, I, I'm really excited about the rest of the season. Um, yeah, shout out to Norgard. I think that things have started to work for him. Um, it, it's again been a slow process watching him. I mean, he struggled. Let's be honest, especially when we were playing in a two-man midfield. He, that clearly wasn't his strength. But now he's playing. He's, he's playing in the middle. He picks the ball up and he does something simple with it. And occasionally, that's a nice through ball. Sometimes he just lays it off. There's still more to come from him, I'm sure, as well. I, I you know, he, he still has the odd few minutes where he gives, you know, he, he makes a bad decision or he's not quite strong enough in a challenge. But, but he's doing a lot of good, positive things now as well. So, um, shout out to him. And like you say, Buemo has just started to to flourish. To you know, he, I, I think I think what's happened is is that now that Buemo's started scoring the odd goal, Ben Rama scored obviously from the penalty. It just takes the pressure off Watkins a bit, you know. It's not all about Ollie Watkins having to score. You do need other players to score as well. And 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 actually, uh, you know, if you've got four or five players that can score, that makes it a lot harder for teams, obviously, to defend against you rather than they just take out your centre forward. I'm talking about players that score as well, who scored a few goals, scored a couple of goals with Brentford. He didn't score on Monday night. Josh De Silva, though, I've got to mention the Josh De Silva. He's a man that's come into the midfield. He's a man that was highly... I spoke to Rob Rowan, um, RIP Rob Rowan. He absolutely loved Josh. He said to me when he signed him, he goes, this player, if we can get him up and running and fit, because he was injured when we signed him, he's going to be a star for Brentford. I really, really highly rate him. So this is a player who, you know, I believe is going to be, you know, one of the legacies of Rob Rowan and... uh, They've taken the whole year to sort of kind of bring him into the game now. But you can see he's becoming a very important player for Brentford. And like I said, there's a few little uh, memes flying around. There's one of Ben Rama who actually kind of leaves the QPR player sort of kind of waltzing on the pitch. If you go to Besotted Twitter, um, you'll see that on there as well. It's, it's flying around all over the place. But there's also a Josh De Silva piece as well where he does some sort of kind of... I can't even describe what this move is where he kind of does this sort of turn and then just gets the ball and plays it through and uh, shot saved by the goalkeeper. If that was a goal, that goal would have been played ad infinitum all over the place as one of the best goals of the season. Josh De Silva. Yeah, I again, he's... You can see this improvement coming and then you know this is the way it is these are young players coming in to play championship football it's a hard league we know that you know I'm just I'm saying what everybody knows um De Silva again has taken a little he's taken you know a year really to start to find that pace uh I for me I still think he sometimes disappears out of a game for 10 minutes and you forget he's on the pitch but I tell you what but he does stuff that like that that you know that, that there's arguably not even another player on the pitch that can do it and, and maybe it's a is that what we used to say about Romain Sawyers you know he, he does something amazing and then you know but it just took that time for Romain to become more and more involved in the game and, and you know there's no reason why Josh can't be bossing games in the future I, but I still think there's a lot more to come from him I really really do yeah I, I really I love watching Josh Silva I think he's a really exciting player I think last season it was just you know it was just the beginning for him he, he just he was off the bench quite a lot 
but he's learnt very quickly and already this season he, he seems to be confident. I mean, we've seen that just in front of the cameras. He talks very confidently, he expresses himself on the pitch and, and I think there's a, there's a hell of a lot more to come from him. I'm really excited about the future for him. Yeah, I mean, as I mentioned um, previously, he, he was very good. And, as, you know, I mean, you said he disappeared for 10 minutes. I think the, um, the player he pulled that move on that's gone around as a meme, he literally disappeared and had to pay to get back in. But um, he, no, he was, um, I thought he was very good. Anyway, um, I, I thought he was very good at Swansea. And again, on Monday night, he was, I thought he was fantastic. I'm going to have to bring it as well because there's a point in the game as you know there's always incidents that may take the game one way or the other and uh, yeah, listen I've got, to, I've got to bring it up though because it's um, we have to bring it up because our ex-manager Mark Warburton was making a massive fuss about this we uh, keep your equalise um, if you've not seen the match as well you know you're, you're, it's got it on your heart you know your, 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 your skybox at home but you still haven't you haven't heard the result and you haven't watched it back they equalised very early on in the second half but 10 minutes later we came in Waymo in the area we came down I think it was Scowan came for a little challenge on him and he went down bang we all called penalty straight away called the penalty um, this time the ball was given straight to Ben Rama who literally I mean put the ball smacked around the top corner of the net it was absolutely no way he was going to miss that one we all went absolutely ballistic on the terraces it was a fantastic moment however QPR weren't happy Mark Warburton wasn't happy and he believes that this was a, a, a moment that changed the match and they need to bring VAR into the championship because of situations like this um, so i if we're brutally honest, if that penalty was given against us, we wouldn't be happy. Was it a penalty, though? Uh, you know, in the end, there was contact. I suppose what goes against um, Bremo was that it would appear he was going down before there was contact. Would VAR have overruled it? I mean, you know, it's, it's all down to opinion, isn't it? I, I, I'm not convinced that VAR would definitely have overruled it. I think it could still have stood as a penalty because there was contact. And, and also, but there is also the point that, um, okay, I mean, it's just going to come to the other guys as well. I mean, the, the, you were there, you watched it on the TV, so you had the replay and the double replay, because we didn't get it in the stadium. As far as we're concerned, it was a penalty. You know, we always think that people are going to remonstrate. You ignore them. You just think it's penalty. We're all going mad, you know, just, you know, just waiting for the ball to smash in the back of the net. But from home, what is your opinion? Um... In real time, I thought it was a penalty, and then after watching it back several times on the replays, I thought, yeah, that's a bit iffy. That's you know, that's quite soft. Um, and like like the Allard said, if, if that's given against us, I'm I'm going to be disappointed. So it's soft, but there is there is still contact there, albeit minimal. So I mean, my point is though, okay, we got the penalty, and I know they say situations like this turn games. Mark Warburton felt that, you know, if that penalty wouldn't given, they might have come into the game, they might have even beaten us there on the up, which may have been the case. But my, but me just coming back to that, if you ever look at, you know, again, you go back to the, you know, the little graphs I send around every Monday to everyone, and you see the massive bubbles that are in there, which are the opportunities that we had, whereas QPR, basically, they've got little speckles outside the area, which means little speckles means that you're having these half chances and you might score from them, but you're a long way away. We were creating the real chances. Even before, in the first half, we should have probably been three, three, three up in the first half, shouldn't we? I, 
we, we could have been, yeah, we could have been maybe two up. Um, I, I think QPR had a strong 10 or 15 minutes at the beginning of the second half, but I, I think we'd already ridden that storm and had already started to, to you know, if not take control of the game, we'd started to, to look the stronger team again around the time of the penalty. So I, I, I'm not sure it was the penalty. I mean, obviously, goals change games, so yeah. But I do think that we'd come out of a difficult sort of 10, 15 minutes. And, um, you know, I, I think we still could have won that game without a penalty. I, I thought we were moving to be the stronger team again towards the end of the game. So, look, we're all really positive now, which is amazing considering what we were like coming out of the last international break, which was only, what, three weeks ago where we were like proper doom and gloomers. We're coming into this, this, this international break. We'll go back and we'll talk about this next week, about what the points that we thought that we are going to get. But at the time, we thought we'd get five points, six points out of 15. It's looking like we could be getting nine, possibly 10, possibly 12, possibly 13, or probably 15 points. I mean, the mass is probably not right there, which is quite good. So for us, we're thinking we need to look forward to, to January because January is a time when also we can strengthen our team and we could also possibly lose a couple of players. Or so it's, it's very important for us to keep in and around the position we are now. And the LR talked about that a little bit earlier. If we're in the top six, we're in the top four, if we're in the top two, whatever it may be, it's a less chance that we might lose one of our key players than if we're 10th or 12th or 14th. And also the other thing is that we've got all these other players who potentially might come into our side. But, you know, is it good to get them all in at once if we're, we're firing on the cylinders? Or do you, you know, is it better to, you know, possibly kind of leave them when they're out there doing some good business and getting some, some game time? So we just thought it might be a good opportunity just to talk about what may or movement may or may not be happening. And, you know, between now and the January window, what the thoughts are being had by the directors of football and, uh, and, and what we might be able to add to our squad in January to hopefully get us up to a next level. Now, Lod. I think, actually, yes, I agree with you, but I think you're one, you might be one step ahead because I do think we're only two injuries away from actually having some serious problems with the squad. And, and, and that's what I think. I think if there's anything that can derail us in the next two months, it's that because I, I'm not sure we've got... I'm not sure who comes in at right-back. I, I definitely don't know who plays centre-forward. Um, you can argue that we're covered at centre-back, left-back, maybe central midfield, but Valencia is the next guy in for the wide players as well. Um, and, you know, he came on and he didn't really impose... Him. He hasn't imposed himself on any game yet so far. He's looked like he's still, you know, he's still a, he's still a work in progress, I, I think. Um, but happy to be told otherwise. So, so I, I, you know, so I think that's the first thing we have to get through is the next couple of months, um, and then once everyone else has had their say, I'll come back and tell you what I think about about what might happen in January. But I just wanted to make that point. So, I mean, talking about January, we've got a few players. Like I said to you, we've got we've, we talk about force quite a bit. Let's just flip him back for a little bit. Let's talk about Dervisoglu, who's our player who's out in Holland at the moment now. Spot uh, Rotterdam, he's playing for. Um, I think he scored four goals, unless he scored last weekend. I didn't check on that as well. He also gets the assists. 19-year-old, highly rated as well. 
doing very well in their top league. So he's playing against your Man United's and your Man City's and your Arsenal's, uh, as well as playing against your sort of kind of you know your Huddersfield's and your and your and and, and, your, and your Watford's as well, and, and and probably players who are you know lower down in in, in the order. Um, so yes, he's got a, a little mixed. However, the question is, everyone's getting excited about him coming over in January. Do you expect him to to, to, to really? hit the floor running if you consider what happened with Marcondes where we expect him to hit the floor running it hasn't quite worked no I, mean, I wouldn't expect him to hit the floor running and I I suspect that it may be a case of I mean look what we did with Malpai it took although he scored some goals in his first season it took him a year before he really kind of flourished and started to score goals you know before he became a 20 goal, you know, 20 goal plus the season striker I, I suspect it's going to be the same. But, okay, interestingly, but if I remember rightly, Malpay um, was also scoring, especially at the beginning, scoring a lot of goals coming off the bench last season as well. He was uh, was it was, was all right on the, on the season, not the last season, but the season before. I think he was a bench player. He was coming off and he was scoring goals off the bench. So uh, I mean, if Dervis Hogler was coming off and scoring sort of ten or twelve goals a season, coming off the bench, that that would be quite good for us. But that's what I mean. I still think that Malpay took. That first year to really, I mean, we saw when we started to, you know, do things like missing the chance at Cardiff and things like that. You know, he went from a 15-goal-a-season striker to a 25. And don't get me wrong, 15 goals is great. You know, it's actually a, a very good um, return. But he went from a 15-goal to a 25-goal striker, you know, in the space of a year. Yeah, his, his, his first period of the club, he had Vibra also at the club. Um, I think it was more like when Vibra went um, to China that then the pressure sort of went, you know, more on Mopay and, and he and he came through it. But but at the beginning of his career, it it because we had Vibra still, then it meant there was less pressure on him. And and hopefully, you know, the, um, and this is the first time I'm going to try and pronounce his name, Devasoglu will will um, will come into the side with a fit, you know, will come into the squad with a fit Watkins. Um, you know, maybe there's a forced question as well. So, so there'd be less pressure on him to deliver straight away. If, if, if heaven forbid, something happened to Watkins between now and then, and he has to come in as the centre forward, then I think it's too much. It's almost too much to ask for him. Yeah, I, th- I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Um, if, if it, it all depends on the situation he comes into. If, if we're doing really well and he's just sort of on the bench and he's, he comes on, you know, for. 10 minutes here 15 minutes there just to get you know just to get up to speed I think that's that's fine and that'll probably within 10 games 12 games he'll be you know he'll be he'll be at a very good level if we are struggling or we've got injuries suspensions etc then it's a very different sort of pressure that he's, he's facing um, so I guess we'll just have to wait and see Mark on this listen he's out there in Denmark he's done a few things I think he scored a goal as well for uh, Michelin um, it, it, things have changed since he's left. Do you think we should be bringing him back in January? Well, we we got a three-man midfield, so I, I've never thought that he can play as a wide player. I, I just don't think that's his position. He's not a centre-forward either. Um, within a three-man midfield, yes, I guess he could come in. Uh, I, I, think, I think if you talk about luxury players, Marcondes is probably, you know, our most luxurious player, if that makes sense. I... I think he probably fits into a winning team again, maybe coming off the bench um, than he does into battling in a in a losing team. I just think he's that he's that sort of player. Uh, does he get another go? I 
I don't know. I, I, I think I'd be interested to see him given another go. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not really convinced he will, to be honest. Yeah, to be honest, I think um, when, what we said about the injuries, we may need squad depth. We may need him back for that reason. I'm going to say Marcus Force have to come on to him now as well. Everyone's raving about him. There was an article from a clickbait site, which does make me laugh as well. You know, anything happens, says, oh, Marcus Force will be coming back to Fredford. But no, he's not, because I think Man United, Man City, you know, Barcelona and, you know, AC Milan, they all want him now. So apparently, you know, we're fighting to, you know, to, to keep him because they, everyone wants him because he scored six goals for AFC Wimbledon and this is knock knocking the goal that you scored Marcus I think it's absolutely brilliant we're more chuckling at the clickbait sites who have now linked you to these clubs which maybe it is happening and if you did that would be absolutely fantastic for you but it seems a little bit unlikely at the moment um, that that's going to happen and let's concentrate a little bit more as to whether or not Marcus should stay at AFC Wimbledon or should come back to Brentford that's a difficult one um, as I understand it AFC Wimbledon played two up front so, anything he's done at AFC Wimbledon, that doesn't mean he's going to do it at Brentford. He might, but it doesn't mean he will, because we play a different system, as I understand it, to AFC Wimbledon. Uh, so, you've got to bear that in mind. I think that, I, I still think there's room for him to come back to the squad, though, and, um, and get some minutes, especially if we have half-decent FA Cup run. Uh, um, you know, just with the way the squad is at the moment, we may need to play Watkins as a wide player. Which, so yeah, I, I don't see any reason why he shouldn't come back. I think you know he's had his time; he'll have his time at Wimbledon, and let's just make sure we're covered. And, and, and listen, I mean, on the side, it's a bit of a difficult one as well because I'm going to say on the midfield front, we've really started to click with Makocho uh, back in his place and doing his thing so you know things are starting to work we start to win with him in his place but obviously his contract is ticking down uh, big time is clicking down I think his contract might be in, uh, up at the end of this season which is, uh, which is a bit of an issue for Brentford because they don't like anyone's contract clicking down so is it a situation where you know like we've done with a couple of players like um, um, you know a couple of players that we've had where you just let it tick down and then you, you, and, and you take it or whether or not he might get replaced in, in January now I noticed that Drew Yearwood who was brought in only for 500 grand we'll see how it goes to develop I mean I talked to Chris Powell a mate of mine really good mate spoke to him at St George's Park for the England training um, session before the last two sessions against Bulgaria and the Czech Republic I was chatting to him and he said look Drew he's a great player you know when you can get him scoring as well we've got to try and get him scoring because he's a player and when he can get scoring it'll be absolutely fantastic and I noticed he scored a hat-trick in the B team the other day he scored a few goals as well so obviously he's starting to know where the back of the net is you know is Drew Yearwood in the plans as yet now or do you think he's a player that we're looking at later on in the season or possibly next year um, yeah Powell was a big supporter of him wasn't he I think um, my friend's a Southend um, United um, supporter and he said when Powell left um, Yearwood got a bit lost so I, I, I'm gonna, I'll go back to your first point though about Camo um, so I always think Makocho should play I think we're a better team with him having said that I don't think he's got the same intensity this season as, I, as he had last season I remember that I think it was the Leeds game away where he was just unbelievable um, and I'm not seeing those performances this season uh, so maybe you know I, and I don't know if I don't know how the you know I don't know how the club feel about him, but maybe if 
basically something like that. There won't be a big um, attempt to, you know, to, to keep him at the club. We'll have to see. But for the minute, he plays in my three-man midfield, yes. Um, Yearwood, uh, I guess, it, it's funny, actually. You can almost say the game that we're going to get to see... Um, Devasoglu and probably probably get to see Yearwood as well and that will be the FA Cup third round of course uh, the traditional FA Cup third round exit by Brentford <laughs> FC but <laughs> maybe not this year though so just going to finish off quickly because we're talking about QPR and doing it on a positive I know a lot of people don't like us talking about XG and stats and that but other people say we love when you talk about this listen we're not trying to be experts here all we say is that sometimes it gives a real good indicator of when you're doing positive things in the game and you're not doing lots of positive things in the game and in this QPR game we did all the things right and all the positive things right um, our XG was 2.56 QPR's was 0.67 and if you see the graphs that are there there's massive big red bubbles right in the middle of the penalty area which basically means that we created some really fantastic uh, opportunities um, right in the in, in, right in the middle of the goal mouth area is that really big one over the penalty spot the penalty that's the penalty yeah. 70, so 77% probability is the penalty of us scoring there so I see a side behind drama as well but um, and, and, and in fact ironically it was even more of a chance than the Ollie Watkins which is practically on the line well, well. I was going to say going back to the penalty one on that big round is it is it still a big round chance if Ollie Watkins takes the penalty well, that's, a, that's a very good question actually we'll have to sort of get XG Dave and all the XGs out there because uh, obviously that should really come into the factor as to how many penalties you have actually scored but I don't think it it kind of works like that it just says basically if there's a penalty this should be the chance that you score it like you know what I'm saying and if you don't do then it's a bit of a fluff but listen just looking at that we're doing the right things which means that is very positive for Brentford and like I said to you little minuscule little dots from outside the area of the QPR we've done a very good job in keeping them back so if we can keep this thing up but also continue to start scoring the goals that we weren't doing even a month ago now I think we're going to be in very good shape yeah I agree uh, it's, it's for me this season has been about not score, not creating enough and not scoring enough goals. I mean, it's simple, isn't it? We, we, we're doing the job at the back. Um, that's, that's very, very obvious. And that was kind of why, you know, I made a, an argument that Thomas Frank needed a bit more time because he'd solved the problem everybody's been moaning about for two years, which is we need to stop conceding goals. And, he, and he's done that. And that's why, I guess, he deserves at least a bit more time to then prove whether he can turn the front players into players that will score goals again based on the you, you know based on a firm defence so let us see if this is going to come to fruition Saturday as Huddersfield come down and uh, they're a bit of a well a bit of a side with a resurgence they've got new managers on board the Cowley brothers they were appalling absolutely appalling to start off the season but they've actually kind of come up the last few weeks and the Cowley brothers have turned things around and so it's probably not the best time for us to play it but if we're going to be doing the things we hope we're going to be doing this season we need to beat sides like Huddersfield so listen we're going to be talking I know I said it I did it deliberately I did it deliberately okay we've got to be beat but the thing is it's true you've got to be beating everyone in the league if you're going to be doing things like this but uh, we've got Richard from Takes That Chance podcast as well he's going to be giving us the lowdown on Huddersfield this season. Hi guys, it's Richard Cosmala here. Uh, I'm from Andy, Andy Takes That Chance podcast, which is a Huddersfield Town podcast, uh, launched in our second season of the Premier League. So 
not launched at a great time really and that as well but we're having a lot of fun on it and it's good to be able to talk to you you know today about everything i've been Huddersfield town fans since uh 1982-83 which was a promotion season for us back in the old third division uh won the first game i went to 6-3 against bradford our local rivals and i remember saying to my dad is this always gonna gonna be you know winning like we're scoring six goals at home but obviously in the years that have passed ups and downs really as, as well so we've come down from the Premier League. Uh, <clears throat> Premier League, two seasons we stayed in. Two seasons more than I ever thought we'd see uh, there. The first season we came in on the bounce. Uh, it's still the, the euphoria of the promotion. We had a sensational start, which probably kept us up, really. We beat Palace the first game, Newcastle the second game. I think we got a draw then. I think it was against Leicester. We were doing really well. Uh, and we were riding Christopher Wave. It was all new to us, a great experience, travelling you know, to some of the top grounds in the, in the country. Uh, we even bet Man United in October, probably our peak really. Famous win, Jose Mourinho poured it down. We were 2 0 up actually, but 2 1 in the end. Uh, amazing uh, first season. Uh, before Christmas, it was, you know, I really enjoyed the ride. We had some good wins, but won at Watford. After Christmas, we got found out, tailed off big time. We were not winning it, and it, to be honest, like we're going straight down the first season. Uh, the last three games, if you remember, we had Manchester City away, Chelsea away, and Arsenal at home. We needed to get two points out of them three, which looked pretty impossible, really. Um, but we did that. We took advantage of Man City. I think it was still half cut after winning the league celebrations. And then we got an incredible draw against Chelsea, 1-1. I went down to the bridge that night. Scenes that'll live long in their memory. Uh, Laurent Depotcher, not with us anymore, but scored a goal in front of our fans. And Dean Hall on the pitch at the end. David Wagner being tossed into the air. That's probably as good as it'll ever get, really, as Huddersfield Town fans. Sensational scenes. Least said about last season, the better. We didn't recruit very well at all. A lot of these players we've still got now. Uh, David Wagner left us in January. He took us as far as taken us as far as we can go. A lot of fans, you know, wished him well. Uh, well, most fans did, to be honest with you. A few thought he jumped shit, but I didn't see it like that. And then the impossible job, really, we're almost like following Alex Ferguson, Jan Sievert. He did his best, but, you know, he just uh, wasn't the man for us, really, and that as well, and uh, <coughs> relegated pretty much without a whimper, really. Lowest goal scored, and I think we just got the most, more than Derby, I think, to get the least points ever, but... So, roll on the season. Uh, new chairman coming in, uh, Phil Hodgkinson, replacing Dean Hoyle, who'd been ill with uh, some bad uh, ill health. Comes in, did Phil. He kept faith with Sievert, but the, the start has not gone well at all. We were taking beatings, uh, and Jan Sievert was shown the door quickly. I think it was in August, to be honest with you, after we'd lost to Fulham on Sky. <clears throat> and uh, after a bit of a brief search, the Cali brothers have come in. They've done really well. They're very humble guys. They've connected with the fans, and they've got us on a six-game unbeaten run, which... <clears throat> something I thought I'd never see to be honest with you with a lot of these players I thought it was beyond them <coughs> excuse me but yeah it's not pretty I'll be honest with you but you know it's going to be like that until I think until January they can maybe work his own magic really he's having to work with players that you know it's probably better than what he's used to to be fair coming from like Lincoln and Concord Rangers and what have you but you know still he's still got you know players you probably want to bring in and that as well there's a lot of players we've still got from the Premier League era that need moving on and probably will be in January and that as well uh, so yeah Saturday's game uh, I think obviously always a tough game at Griffin Park a place all real memories for us probably the, one of the best seasons one of the best moments ever we won got promoted from 
the old, I think it was Division 1 in them days, in 95-96 season. Uh, and unbelievable uh, moment in a penalty shot. I don't know if you remember it. I think Kevin Dearden, uh, bless him, was in your goals and Jamie Bates, that kind of era and that as well. And uh, we ended up winning a penalty shot, winning a Warnock. Amazing. In the end, I think that's home and now where, you, where we were celebrating. And uh, what a sensational uh, time to be a Uddersfield Town fan then. And we got to Wembley uh, and we beat Bristol Rovers. But then I think you got your revenge then on us in a, another playoff game quite a few seasons after to be honest with you on that as well I uh, don't think you got up though that season but you probably know a bit more than me on that as well uh, so going into the game again you know we're, we played well against Barnsley for you know for an hour but obviously Barnsley at the bottom of the league got to your place I've seen you a couple of times on that as well I think uh, an improving side obviously Pontus Janssen an old enemy of ours being an ex-Leeds man and uh, Involved a bit of a skirmish in our promotion season with David Wagner and and what have you and that as well. So we'll probably get a lot of stick today and that as well. Uh, I just think, you know, Uddersfield Town are developing team. To be honest, it's six game unbeaten run. For being honest, we've not really played anyone decent. So I'd take a point all day long on Saturday uh, against you guys. But I know sold out allocation, but obviously it's a reduced allocation now and that as well. I really miss Griffin Park, proper ground. Obviously, there's only three pubs now instead of four, but yeah, really enjoy coming down there. I think uh, for us, Hill fans, for realistic, really, I think no one expected us to come straight back up. Obviously, we thought we'd do better than we have, but I think the reality check of the first five, six games has spilled into, uh, you know, let's just stay up and consolidate, really, and just enjoy football again because. We've gone so long without winning any games. It was absolutely ridiculous. I think we won about six in about 57, you know, overall going back on the, you know, the Premier League season before and stuff. So, towards it's just about having fun and enjoying our football again, you know, with a manager that's injecting a bit of that. He's getting the connection back a little bit between the players and the fans because that was long gone. That was ultimately massive when David Wagner was here, but it lost its way big time under Jan Siebert. So, Danny Cal has done a fine job. You know, in doing that, and a uh, very humble guy. I do like the guy for it, and uh, I don't think uh, he'll get ideas above his station, really, and that as well. But I think there's probably about six players that will probably be moving on in January. I don't want to name any names, but he's got he's putting his own stamp on it. Callan Grant's our best uh, player. We'll be looking to hold on him, onto him, I think, in probably will be in January. To be fair, we'll keep him, but maybe in the summer. Scoring goals for fun. Obviously came from Charlton. Can create, play wide on the left and that as well. Top player. And he was the only one that we signed in that second season of Premier that was any good, really. Everyone else, you know, you can move on pretty much. Uh, although Adama Diakab is showing a bit few signs. You'll watch him today, obviously on Saturday. He'll, uh, he'll be interesting, but yeah. So yeah, all the best in your last season, guys. Uh, at Griffin Park. Look forward to visit the new stadium. I did see that, actually, when we came. I think it was to Chelsea, kind of coming over the bridge. And uh, it looks good, but... Yeah, obviously great memories and uh, yeah, let's hope uh, we enjoy our last uh, game at Griffin Park, but all the best and uh, speak to you soon. So that was Richard from Take That Chance podcast, talking Huddersfield as well and uh, he's a bit buoyed. You know, to be fair, the Cowley brothers have come in, They've, they have turned things around. I mean, we're, uh, there's a form table out there as well, traditional stats as it is and Brentford are top of the form table out there. You know, we've done really well, as in we are top of the form table, played six, won four, drew one, lost one. Goals for 13, goals against six, 13 points out of uh, 18. Huddersfield, though, are second in the form table, 
played six, won three, drew three, lost none of those. So since the Cowleys have come in, they haven't lost a game, which is a fair play to them. And we were like a little bit nervous about that. And this is, you've got to get nervous because when you're on a, on a, on a non-losing streak, it does give you confidence. We just thought, let's have a little look back to see what Huddersfield have been doing. And we we're looking at their matches. And uh, to be fair, the last six matches in that streak as well, they've they played Barnsley their last match. They won 2-1. They played Borough as well. They drew nil all. Blackburn, they drew 2 all. Huddersfield um, beat Hull. Um, they thought Hull's a good side. They're beating 3-0. It's a good result. They they beat Stoke City and Stoke 1-0. And they drew one all with Millwall. And before that, they lost to West Brom as well, which was a Cowley result. They lost to Sheffield Wednesday, which is also a Cowley result. So they lost their first two matches and they got them into a bit of a flow. That's quite an interesting one. Uh, for a slightly different reason, but there's always this new manager bounce. People always talk about it and they always think it's the first game, but actually it's not. If you look at the stats, it's normally the second or third game where the new manager bounce kicks in, which is exactly what you're seeing with the Cowley brothers. That's right. It's interesting you say that because that is, that is actually true. And if you speak to the, again, a lot of people hate the stats thing, but the stats people at our place who actually put money on things, we talk about the new manager bounce, they say apparently they always bet against um, the new manager actually getting a result because the, if you actually look the stats-wise, normally the new manager actually does not get a result when uh, when he first comes into a game. So if you're actually putting hundreds of thousands of pounds on that kind of stuff, apparently the staty people actually uh, uh, um, they bet against the new manager bounce, which is uh, maybe a little bit of knowledge for people out there who like to have a little two pounds that they like to wager on things here or there. We digress. Yes, we do digress once again. But coming back to Huddersfield Town. Um, Huddersfield Town are coming to Griffin Park. Their strengths, creating chances through individual skills. So they've got some good players. Of course they have. They were in the Premier League and they've spent some money on players and they've got some decent players. Whether or not those players gel, that's a different story altogether. They're also, but they're very good at that. Also creating chances through through balls. So creating these opportunities and stealing the ball from the opposition, they're good. Where they're weak, stopping opponents from creating chances. So hopefully we can uh, capitalise there. Defending against skillful players. Listen, Ben Rama, hopefully he'll have a, have a field day there. Protecting the lead as well. So again, we don't want them to go ahead, but even if they do, we've still got a chance, especially if we go Millwall-esque on them as well. Aerial duels as well is where their uh, their weaknesses defending set pieces and avoiding individual errors they're very very weak on that so for us that is the game that we're going into uh, against Huddersfield listen you know if we're going to be doing anything because the fact is that sometimes we say oh no it's going to be difficult yeah they're on a run but if we're going to be doing anything in this league we need to be taking these games by the scruff of the neck we need to be relying on our defence to actually do their job and then we need to be nicking the goal. So for us, Huddersfield coming to Griffin Park, yes, they're on a great run. Yes, they've got the Cowleys, changed their tactics. They haven't lost in six games, probably more than six games even. Still, it should not be an issue for us. And that's not us counting our chickens, is it? Well, the first thing I'd say is that if one of their weaknesses is defending set pieces, from what I've seen this season, they haven't got anything to worry about. <laughs> Um, on, on that front um, so yeah no we definitely shouldn't be counting our chickens on this it's, it's funny with the Cowley brothers it, I, I have a recollection of what I saw of them four or five years ago when they were managing Lincoln as a non-league side and um, they were a very effective non-league side but not at all pretty to watch obviously the Cowley brothers have come a long way since then so in some respects, I'm, I'm, I'm not looking forward to seeing Huddersfield play well, but I am looking forward to seeing how the, you know, the, how the McCowley brothers have, have, I assume, 
changed um, the way that their teams play football. Definitely. I mean, look, you look at the form table, it's the two top teams in the form table, so there's no way you can take Saturday for granted at all. I'm a bit worried now. Right, OK, so the Allard's a little bit worried, and if the Allard's worried, then that puts, starts to fear in all of us. GP, are you as worried as the Allard is? Yeah, I mean, obviously, they're on a good run, six unbeaten. Um, I've got my ace in the... I've got... I've, I've got my ace card that I'm going to be bringing out, which is a... Ace Ventura? No, my girlfriend, who's a bit better looking than Ace Ventura. Um, but yeah, no, she'll be coming in. She, every, she, Brentford have won every game she's been to. So she's, uh, she's going to be my secret weapon, and I think that we're going to win on Saturday. Listen, the Flyman, your thoughts? I mean, Huddersfield, again, we do so-so research about them. We see them on the TV. You know, they've got Colin Grant who we potentially, I think, were looking to buy um, uh, on a January window, I think. Was it last year or the year before? And then, in the end, he decided for a Premier League movement to Huddersfield, who's with them now. He probably, from looking at his, his again, his stats, looking at what he's doing, he's um, quite an effective striker. He, 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 he eats, you know, lots of shots on target, you know, high percentage of shots on target, scored an all right number of goals. Whether or not he would have done the business in our setup, that's a bit of a question mark. But they've got Carl and Grant, a few players inside there. Are you nervous with this Huddersfield team coming down, or are you a little bit more relaxed after seeing what you've seen the last few weeks? I'm quite relaxed, to be honest. Um, that's not to say I'm underestimating Huddersfield at all. I think they're going to be a, an awkward team to play against. I think they're going to be stubborn. They're going to sit deep. They're going to make it difficult for us. They're going to frustrate us. I think there's no question about that, and 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 that is very much, you know, they'll they'll be they'll be trying to nick a, nick a goal with a set piece or something like that. They'll be just setting up not to lose, basically. And and earlier in the season we we've struggled against that sort of setup. Now on the back of these results, I think the confidence is high, and I, and I I would hope that we can we can break through and get a result. Do you think? I mean, do you, I know confidence is a massive thing, and you can see with us, we're all confident. All of a sudden, like, Woo-hoo, yeah, we're going to get down the pub early on Saturday, and all this kind of stuff because you're all confident. Before and you're like, you read your heads down. Do you think this confidence has got a massive factor to play? Um, you know that Millwall last minute revival thing may have a big part to play in this Huddersfield game itself and the way we approach it. I think you... I mean, there's obviously a good argument that it's, you know, the, the confidence that came out of that Millwall win as we've we seen roll into two more games. Um, I think, uh, you know, we've, we've just beaten our local rivals 3-1. We're going to be confident, I assume, going into Saturday and we'll, we'll take the game by the scruff of the net, you would think. But looking at Huddersfield's results, they're going to be equally confident. So... You know, it's two two confident teams playing each other. Um, it's it's going to be tight, I think. So, what, what would you take from this game? Just, I'm not going to give you a poor prediction yet, you but know, what would you take? It's, it's funny, actually. I I'm not sure you you will win five games um, on the spin. Do you know what I mean? I mean, you can. It's possible. Anything's possible. You can lose five games. You can lose ten games on the spin. Yeah, you you can. We've done it. We've done it. It's, well, it's easier to lose five or ten games on the spin than it probably is to win five or, or certainly than win ten. Um, I, I. So actually, do you know what? If we had a draw Saturday, I wouldn't be gutted. I, I would just say, blimey, we've still got ten points out of twelve in this window do you know what I mean and then if we win our win, a, win against Wigan away then we've got 13 points out of 15 that's still a brilliant return isn't it 
I don't know about that. I would be disappointed because I tend to see a season as the points you lose at home are points you've lost. The points you win away are points you've gained. I think that's like the basis for a season, really. You, you need to be looking at picking up three points in every home game. We were able to do it once and you should be able, able to do it again. But I say ultimately, yeah, if we got four points out of the... Um, the next two games, I wouldn't be disappointed. I wouldn't be disappointed um, if I'd be more disappointed if we didn't beat Huddersfield and beat Wigan than I would be if we beat Huddersfield and didn't beat Wigan. Um, I think the fans have got a big part to play on Saturday. I think you know you hear it from the players and Thomas Frank and and you know other managers as well that the the crowd can be like an extra man sometimes and if if we get behind the team I think you know we should have no problem on Saturday but we've just got to be wary that they are going to try and frustrate us they're going to sit deep they're going to dig in and you know they they will they will mark us tightly so we've just got to be patient by that time maybe not leave it so late as we did against Millwall um, and, and then we should get a result I mean I look at this protecting you know defending against skillful players in traditional, I mean, whether or not the Cowleys have sorted this problem out as of late, but, you know, players running at them, players with skill running at them, it's like, you know, you can see, the, you know, we'll, you know, technically we should be setting ourselves up, you know, we've got Wemo, we've got, you know, Ben Rama, we've got Ollie Watkins, uh, you know, players who, 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 who can run a defence and, and cause major problems, and surely this should be our tactic for just basically steamrolling them, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I said, they're bad at defending set pieces. So, um, you know, maybe, you know, we'll score from a set piece, Bill. <laughs> but for once. For once, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we haven't even looked like scoring from a set piece, have we, this season? No. no. So, look, listen, Huddersfield are coming down on Saturday. I'm going to go around the table here and just quickly get your score predictions. Yeah, lot. 1-0 Brentford, uh, Pontus Janssen, header from a corner. <laughs> Is that set piece? Set piece, indeed. 2-0 Brentford um, Pontus Janssen will score at some point on Saturday tight game 1-0 Brentford 6-0 Brentford <laughs> I've got to say that now don't I you know and there'll be three set pieces in that one as well so look this is the Besotted Friday West London podcast listen check us out actually um, check us out give us a like write us a comment like we did we'll read your comments out as well on iTunes Monday show on Monday night will be the Robin and a few other characters are going to be inside there Monday night um, 8 till 9 on Love Sport Radio after the match we'll have a post-match podcast Huddersfield fans and Beast fans check that out as well but like I see you soon next week we've got all sorts of things coming over the next week so make sure you press your subscribe button on here on this podcast so it downloads to your phone immediately because you're going to be wanting to check out our next few podcasts for the next month or eight, six weeks or so we've got some great stuff coming up but I'm Billy Grant here I'm here in the Distillers in Hammersmith. It's a great pub. We're going to come back here tomorrow, maybe, or maybe even come back on Friday. Or we'll be here every day for the next month because it's brought us absolutely good luck, especially as the Beastie Boys on the Hip Hop Array are playing as well. But I'm here with the Allard, I'm here with the GP, and I'm here with the Flarman as we're in this QPR territory, as we say. Come
away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.